Good morning. Good morning. You guys can find your seats. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see in chapter one of the book of Genesis that God is creative. That he creates artistically, but also functionally, and that everything that's presented to us in Genesis chapter one is presented not so that we can figure out how he did it, but so that we can know that he did. So that we can understand that there was a process of creation that is certainly observable through scientific observation. And we've been doing that as we've been going through chapter 1. This morning we find ourselves looking at the fourth and the fifth days of creation, and we're in chapter 1, verse 14. And we're going to see that God created celestial lights. We're going to see why and how he did that. There's a purpose, there's a function, as well as the great artistry of painting our sky with all of these stars and planets. And also that once he had finished that, on the fifth day, he created the living creatures in the water and the birds in the air, or the birds on the earth. And so now we begin even today to start to see the purpose of all of this isn't a science project. It's to create and sustain life. It is all about life. But as we begin... Apart from the Genesis account, we're going to see something that's a principle. And there are always these little principles you can find in Scripture that speak to us of our relationship with Christ. Today's Communion Sunday, we'll be receiving communion at the end of our message. But keep in mind that God placed a light, or a light giver, more appropriately described, the sun, a star. There are many, but our star is perfectly placed where it needs to be to sustain life on our planet. But this star produces, through a chemical reaction that God designed, light. Although it doesn't make light, it produces light. God is light. Amen? And the sun brings forth light that brings heat and all of the different energy that comes from the production of light in a star. But then we have a moon, which is sort of a spherical object that has a purpose as well. But as you've probably noticed, even this week, that the moon has been very bright. But it would be incorrect to say that the moon is bright. It really just reflects the light of the sun. And yet it has been incredibly bright this week. Now understand something. The moon has no light of its own. But it brings light. And in that we see a wonderful lesson of how we are to bring light to this world. We have no light within us. God is light. But as we have God in us, we bring light to the world around us. So when you see the sun, you think of, well, as the scripture says, he's the son of righteousness, risen with healing in his wings. The sun is used to describe the light of God many times in poetic form and throughout the scripture, but the moon reflects that light to the earth, and that is who we are to be. Now, the moon can only reflect the light of the sun if it is observable or in the path of the sun. If it, if it no longer is, we, we can't see that light because that light is not visible to us. Sometimes it's eclipsed. 
And I think all of our lives need to be that, like the moon. All of our lives need to be great reflections of God's love to the earth. And if you miss that, then anything else we talk about today is worthless. It's just an interesting conversation. It's, it's not of any real strength or power because at the end of the day, what Christ has done in us is what matters. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, this precious book in your Bible, in your scripture, the book of Genesis, and this precious chapter in this book. These verses speak to us of your creative genius, your, your, your ability to create out of nothing, but that it's all about life. You're, you're creating an environment in these seven days, or six and then resting on the seventh, that can sustain life. And in you is life, and we desire to have eternal life. And we need, Lord, to reflect the light that you've given to us, to the darkness in this world around us. So we ask for that strength through the power of your Spirit. Oh, Lord, we need you every hour. Every hour we need you, Lord. And today, at this time, we need you greatly. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read our scripture. Let's read the first section here. The fourth day, we see in verse 14... And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to, be, uh, to give light on the earth. And it was so, and God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Let there be celestial lights. Now we've talked about this going back to the first day of creation in our second study, I believe, in this book. That God is light. God formed light in our universe, but he didn't create light because he is light. Light is energy. It's heat. It's so many things. It's all the invisible waves and energies that that really fill our universe with life. And God did that by taking his life, his power, and entering our universe, the universe he created, with the purpose of sustaining life. Had he not, there would be no life. And all that God created, he created by separating the waters. Now, he started by creating the heavens and the earth, the heavens being the space, the earth, the matter, all of the matter in the universe created as, if you will, raw materials to bring about his creative processes over a period of six days. Having done that, he also, in the beginning, created time. There wouldn't be a beginning without time. So he created the space to create, the materials to create with, and the time in which to create. So all of that was created immediately, and then God begins to form the universe, and there are select places where the Hebrew word bara is used, which means to create out of nothing. And I'm going to point those out because, quite frankly, uh, most of the creative process took place when God created the heavens and the earth, out of nothing. And then what begins to happen is the forming of, of all of the universe and the laws of the universe, and then light being formed in our universe, and then all of the situation is set up so that he can begin to create sentient life. He's already, in our study, we've seen, created all of the plant life. 
But all of these materials that were used were separated. And God is a great separator. We've talked about this before. There's a work that God does in darkness. The world was created in darkness, and he brought light into the darkness, but he brought separation. And God will do that in our darkness, in our lives, and he'll bring light. And then it immediately brings separation from the world and the darkness around us. Just like we reflect that light, these are the lessons we're seeing behind the lessons we're studying as it relates to how we interact with the world and how God works in and through us. Now, you'll remember that we saw this. He separated the waters, and there were waters above. There was an expanse, we're told, a firmament or an expanse, and then there was the waters below. And the waters below were formed into the earth, the land, and the seas, and we've already seen the vegetation. There is no other life at this point. I mean, plant life is life, but not sentient life, not animal life, not yet, not at this point. So all of this has been set up so that life can exist. But as he begins to create the stars, I want to point out all the stars, all the planets, all that's in our universe must have been created from the raw materials in the expanse or the firmament. So as he separated the waters, what was at the center was probably a very small amount of material by comparison to what was put around the atmosphere because from there he begins to create all of the universe as we know it. Now, he also created a process that creates. Like procreation, God creates processes that bring more creation. So we do observe in nature, in, in, in through astronomy, the birth of stars. We, we do observe how the universe functions like a giant engine and the lifetime of stars. But God put these engines in place. He created them, and I suspect, from the raw materials in that outer expanse. So as he begins to create all of that, even the outer expanse or the firmament of waters in the heavens is greatly reduced. As we've talked about last week, though, I believe it was last week, uh, at some point around the time of Noah, that expanse, which has a great deal of water vapor in it, also condenses and brings about, as we say, the floodgates of heaven with the springs, the great springs of the deep in Genesis 7, and the earth is deluged or flooded and destroyed and really rebirthed through the process of the flood. So we see a creative process that began and continues, but it starts here in verse 14 with let there be celestial lights. Now there needed to be light givers. Think about it that way because light has already been talked about. In fact, some people get a little concerned because God said, let there be light, but then he creates the sun. And so with a simplistic understanding, they think that, well, light can't exist without the sun, right? Or the stars. But no, they just produce light through a chemical reaction. Light existed before that. Light is so much more than just what the sun shows us or what these LEDs produce through, through science. That's just the result of a scientific process, but it's not light. These are light givers. And of course, we're light givers in that sense, following that analogy. But understand something about light. It's necessary. And it was necessary for a lot of reasons, life being one of them, but also the governing of the universe. The triune God, Elohim, spoke these celestial bodies into existence and placed them in outer space. And we observed them. And as he, he placed them there, he did it by his great 
word, by his speaking, he simply created. He, he doesn't need to get his hands dirty, so to speak. He just creates by thought and word, by speaking into existence the things that we read about here. But understand, while, while God doesn't have to do it this way, he does do it in an orderly way, following the observable laws of science, which he created, such as gravity and uh, strong and weak nuclear forces, electromagnetism. These things are all now in place so that the creation doesn't violate those laws of physics. In fact, the laws of physics enable God to create by his word in the way that he describes here. So it's not anti-science. It's not science per se, but it's, it's non-scientific. And yet scientific observation shows us that God didn't violate his laws when he created the heavens and the earth because he created those laws. And God never violates his word. He operates within the confines of his word. And I know what you're thinking. Well, when God does something miraculous, doesn't that violate the laws of nature? Well, no, because God speaks miracles into existence constantly. And that doesn't violate his laws because God wouldn't do that. But God does do miracles each and every day. Each and every one of you who know Christ are a miracle. And that is no less a miracle than the creation of the sun and the stars. So, these bodies beyond the Earth's water vapor were visible within the Earth's atmosphere. We're told that distant stars, again, light givers, planets and moons, light reflectors. The majority of stars, planets, and moons would have been visible at night and in a greater way than they are today because of the light pollution, which is to say the the light around us makes it very difficult to see the stars. If you were to go to a very deserted place... Uh, very high up, you would see a lot more stars than you can see in the night sky in our area because we have so much surrounding light that is produced. And it really drowns out the light of the stars. It really takes away from that beauty, which is unfortunate. Only the closest star, our sun, would have been visible during the day. That's the point, and we know that. Now, the rotation of the earth in proximity to the sun is what separated the day and the night. When God first created the earth, we're told there was a day and a night. That spoke of the rotation. You don't, need de- you don't need light and you don't need the sun to have the earth rotating and to have a 24-hour, or close to it, 24-hour day and night. So that was established already. You can have day and night in that context without the sun, clearly, clearly, because we're already on the fourth day and the sun is being created. So... The rotation of the earth separates the day and the night. And the rays of light that were emanating in space before this, when God said, let there be light, must have dissipated. And now God uses these celestial bodies to produce light necessary for life. Uh, These lights, these rays of light emanate from the sun. Without them, we can't exist. No life can exist. If the sun or we were closer on this planet to the sun, life couldn't exist. If we were further away, life couldn't exist. We're placed exactly in the right spot, in exactly the right way for life to exist. If you look at the statistics, even even a fraction off and life can't exist. It is quite simply the perfect environment for life as we know it to exist on this planet. So did God get lucky? Did the universe just sort of happen? No, it's designed. You have to see the intelligent design of the universe. I could bore you with all the statistics, but essentially, sum it up. 
If the planet were even just a little off in one way or another, its axis, its rotation, its distance from the sun, life would not exist. And that's why we don't see any life on the other planets in our solar system. For years, people have fantasized about finding life on Mars or Venus or Jupiter or another planet, but it, no scientific expedition has been able to verify that life exists anywhere outside of our planet. Think about that for a minute. With all of our science, I mean, scientists would love to be able to confirm that because it would mean that they could dispel the creation account in Genesis 1. And, of course, they could, well, they could kill God. In our thoughts and our minds, God wouldn't exist because what God said was more than likely not true at that point. And in addition to that, they'd find a way around being morally accountable to God's word. That's the point. And, of course, they failed in every turn. So I don't support spending gazillions of dollars on space exploration as much as I am a Star Trek fan. I have never been really enamored by the idea of spending all of that money uh, in that way. That's me. That's me personally. But I guess I'm entitled. I'm a taxpayer. And I don't like them spending all that money in that way. I would much rather they spend that money here where we know life exists, on people and made in the image of God. But they're not asking, so I'm not telling. So the earth, it rotated with an axial inclination, which, crema- which, which creates climatological seasons. That's a, that's a mouthful. Climatological seasons. So we have seasons, and, and God created the, the planet with seasons of sorts, maybe not as extreme as they are today, but certainly climate change is nothing new. That's the point. The orbit of the earth around the sun is what marked the seasons, the days, and the years. So it's like a giant clock. God set it up this way. There was a purpose in the rotation and in the orbit and the distance of the earth and it changing slightly over, very slightly, uh, in an elliptical orbit over time for a reason. It's so that we could have seasons, days, and years. Now, there are some people that very much like summer all the time. Maybe not this summer, but summer in general. I think we're, we're liking August a little bit more than July because so far, although we're just into August, August has been great. July was rough. A lot of heat. And I think we look at that and we freak out. Many people think, see, the world is coming to an end, but August is better than July, so so much for that. But some people like the cold, and so they move north, and, you know, they live in Canada where you get, like, two minutes of summer and, like, a whole year of winter. And then we have the people who move to Florida who love the heat, and some people go back and forth because they don't like either all that much. And basically, you have, you, have, you have options. That's the point I'm trying to make. You have options. And I've learned, you know, I'm a summer person. I grew up at the Jersey Shore. I, I love the summer. And we always lament when Labor Day comes around that the summer is gone. But listen, it'll be back around next year. I don't mind the seasons. I'm not crazy about winter. But hey, I've looked around and I figure it this way. New Jersey is a good place to live. New Jersey's got it all. Okay, I I really believe that. I mean, we've got seasons. We've got a a good summer. It's not too, too hot generally. We've got a winter that thankfully last winter was not too much snow. So you can complain, but the seasons are good things. God created them. Amen. He created them. That's the point. The perfect world isn't just summer. There's a process. There are seasons. God created it to be that way. By the way, from all observable accounts, 
and everything we've been able to read and understand about our world as it was created. The solar year was originally 360 days. This doesn't surprise most of us because when you do the math, our solar year was originally 360 days with 12 lunar months of 30 days each. Now, you math geeks out there know that that works really well. But things happened in our world. Cataclysms have happened over time. It's a fallen world, and now it's all messed up. Yeah, 365 and a quarter, not even exactly days, and that throws everything off. So now we've got February with 28, sometimes 29 days. The seasons are a little wacky. It's not always the same. The lunar months are off from the solar calendar year. Everything is just a little off. Have you noticed in our world that there's a lot of things that are off? You might be off a little sometimes. It's a fallen world. That's the point. But when it was created, it was created perfectly. So you have these 360 days, 12 lunar months, 30 days each. Everybody's happy. All of the ancient calendars, the Babylonian, Mayan calendars, all of that, all of them support this until about 700 years before Christ when things changed radically. We won't get into that today. But if you've ever asked yourself the question, and by the way, you probably haven't, unless you're me, why are there 360 degrees in a, you know, a circle? Like, why, are, why 360? Where'd they come up with that? It seems kind of random, you know, 360. I remember when I first figured that out, we were skateboarding in the 70s, and you would do, you know, a 180. But if you could do a 360... And I didn't know why they called it a 360, but as I got older and took geometry, I realized there are 360 degrees in a circle. Where'd they come up with that idea? Ah. You see, the Babylonians didn't invent it, they observed it. And so you have 360 degrees in a circle, you have 360 days in the original year, the solar year, and then everything works just wonderfully. But these celestial bodies, they they were created to enable human beings to measure the time with a calendar. Very important to planting, very important to life. You need to understand what season you're in. In fact, because of the way our world is with the 365 and a quarter days and, and all of the different things that are off, they try to reconcile that. And for a while, they didn't bother. And then all of a sudden, the seasons were off. So they came up with an idea. Oh, every four years... You know, we'll add a day, you know, in a leap year. And they did that for a couple hundred years, and all of a sudden they realized that fraction that was off, they were ending up with, with a little off. They, they weren't where they were supposed to be. So they get the Pope involved, and they come up with never, never really a good idea. But anyway, so, and they come up with an idea, okay, and, and let me see if I remember the rules here. It's kind of like playing some kind of video game. Um, there are rules, and the rules work out where in a year, evenly divisible by 400, I believe it is, uh, there isn't a leap year. So there wasn't a leap year in the year 2000, even though every four years is a leap year. Get with me? I'm not sure I am. All of this to try to reconcile and get back to the point where we've got an even number of days in a year, and the seasons show up at the right time, and the, it gets complicated. But life is complicated when it's not where God has designed it to be. And there's a lesson there as well. God created our world to be just so, and we have gone and messed it up. And so now we have a world that's a little off. And there's a, peop- there's a lot of people that are really off. And we are definitely not where God created us to be. Unless, of course, you give your heart to Jesus Christ, who sits upon the circle of the earth. So understand that is very important. Your world will never be right unless you belong to Jesus Christ. So, 
There were simply no celestial bodies within the universe until God commanded it. Again, I believe creating it out of the existing matter. Their light energy <clears throat> traveled across space and became visible on the earth. And this bothers a few people. And here's the, here's the reason. Because these objects are so, so far away, so many light years away, we shouldn't be able to see them. Are you with me? Like, if, if the world was created when God said it was created, and, and what the Word says, within the last 10,000 years, maybe less, then we shouldn't be able to see stars that far away. Because it takes too long for the light to get here. Now, this gets back to the chicken and the egg. How did God create the stars? Well, we believe that <clears throat> the light trails, that is, the actual light from that object, were established already in place between each star and the earth. Oh, God can't do that? Of course he can. So imagine, if you will, he creates all the material, then he flings them out into space, and of course the light trails still stay where they are. In an instant, the matter of those stars finds its place light years away, but the light originated here. Ah, ah, ah. All of a sudden it makes sense. Are you with me? So, see, when you see it from God's point of view, as he describes it, then even that makes sense. <clears throat> but of course you have to have faith in the word, excuse me, in the word of God. You've got to believe what the word says. <clears throat> so, this light from billions of light years away was immediately visible because God created it that way. And of course this is consistent with a principle we first discussed last week. It's the principle of mature creation or creation of apparent age. That means that when he created the trees, they were mature, bearing seed. He didn't create the seed, he created the tree, and then the tree creates the seed. That's, that's that mature creation. Remember I told you God creates creatively, and so that those creations create as well. It's all part of God's procreative process. When he created Adam, was Adam a toddler? No, he was a fully mature man. Eve was created from Adam a fully mature woman. That principle of God's creation answers the age-old question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first? The chicken. Very easy, if you understand God's word. Yeah, but, but no, 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 yeah. That's the way God said it was done. So, the triune God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Why? That life might be governed on the earth. Not just to sustain life, but to govern life. Now, one of the things you're going to find is there is beauty in order. We have anybody here? Now, I'm saying obsessive-compulsive personalities, not disorder. I hear a lot of people say, oh, my OCD. You don't have OCD. If you're here today and you're functioning and you're just a little bit of a neatnik, you probably have an obsessive-compulsive personality like myself. By the way, obsessive-compulsives are very... Confident people who like to accomplish things in a certain way. But to say you have OCD is to say you can't leave your house without flicking the light switch, you know, seven times, different things. So I would encourage you, there's some people in my life who have it. You don't want to say you have OCD. Maybe say, my obsessive compulsive personality is better than saying OCD. A little point of contention on my part. But I'm being a little OCP. So, all of that to say that having a universe that is governed in order is very satisfying to people like myself. 
That's why I like that whole 360, 12, 30. But understand, God creates without confusion. Everything that God does is done without confusion. He's not the author of confusion. Everything's done orderly. So tell your kids to clean their room. You can say, you know what? You might want to clean your room. God loves order. Maybe they will. But you know, here's the thing. Governing the earth was something God was very concerned with. One day he's going to be here and govern the earth in that way. But when he created it, there was a gravitational pull. We observe this in science. The gravitational pull of the sun, which is the greater light, it governs the earth's orbit. You know this, right? It governs the earth's orbit. The light of the sun, of course, separated each solar day into night. We know that. And the light of the sun marked one full rotation of the earth as a solar day. So now we know what a day is. In a world that can't figure out what gender is, in a world that can't figure out what right is, we know this much, a day is a day. I'm surprised they haven't questioned that. We know what a year is. A year is a year. Yes, it's varied since God first created it, but we have a governed universe. We know what a year is. We know what seasons are. We can observe them. God is the one that created them or put them into motion. And the gravitational pull of the earth, we've talked about the gravitational pull of the sun, and we don't understand gravity. Why do large bodies in space have gravity or gravitational pull? We don't know why. We observe it, but it's a mystery. The gravitational pull of the earth governed the moon or the lesser light's orbit. And so the moon is governed by that. And the moon's reflection of the sun's light provides light during the night, which we've talked about already. Beautiful picture of Christ in our lives. And the waxing and the waning of the moon divides the lunar month into 30 days, at least when it's first created. So the stars in their constellations. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the zodiac or the Maseroth or the constellations in the sky. They're not evil things. Many people look at that, they think astrology, horoscopes. That is a corruption of God's creation. That is not God's creation. So those things are not good. We know God's word says that those things are sinful. To study the heavens in such a way where you allow them to rule you and not the, not the heart of God. But the constellations themselves are not evil or wicked. And it's not horrible to observe them. They predate all of that astrology stuff anyway. See, God arranged the stars. I want you to understand this. He arranged them. Arranged them. Different distances away from us in a sort of 3D holographic way. We can look to the sky and we can see these constellations. Because guess what? God is able to do that. And do it in such a way that from one fixed point in space, we can observe all of those constellations. And that sounds really cool, right? But I've been to the Hayden Planetarium as a kid. You know, they're able to project that on the, on the sky, on the, on the ceiling. On the, if they can do that, God could create this, certainly. So that's what God was doing, arranging the stars to signify something to those on earth. There are some that believe, and we'll talk about this when we get to the account of Abraham, that God placed the gospel message in the stars, in the constellations themselves. There's a lion. There's a virgin. There's so many of the symbols in the constellations of the gospel message. And we'll talk about that at a later time. I don't have time to get, that in, to get into that today. But understand, these are good things because God said what? It was good. 
It was good. So he creates the constellations, all of this to govern the seasons, arranges them to signify something to those on earth, a message in the stars, we'll call it. They weren't just scattered evenly or randomly around space and then someone played connect the dots. That's not what happened. God named the stars in their constellations because in Job 38 and Isaiah chapter 40, he says so. The positions of the stars changed gradually as the earth completed its orbit, and it still does. So you won't see Orion in the same place of the sky at the same, at a different time of year. And then, of course, you had these wandering stars, which in Greek is planets. Uh, They didn't follow the constellations. They freaked people out so much because they could observe the constellations. Everything made sense. It moved in a logical way. And then all of a sudden you got this one star doing its own thing. From Earth, they were called wandering stars or planets. And, of course, they thought that they were gods in primitive cultures. And so they named those planets after some of the pagan gods like Mars and Venus and Jupiter. So you you begin to understand why they did that and why they thought that way. But, of course, God didn't create those planets to be worshipped. He didn't create his creation to be worshipped. He is the creator worthy of our worship. Amen? So the relative positions of these constellations to the earth mark the current season within a year. They were able to tell time by looking at the sky. Do you know something? It's not only good for that. It's good for global positioning. Before you had those little phones you carry around and look at way too much, before you had all of those navigation programs in your car and those, those devices, people used to sail the earth, all over the earth. And the only way they knew where they were was by looking at the sky, celestial navigation. And they would do this. They eventually figured out they could use clocks to determine where they were as well. But all of it is way before computers. How would it be, think about it, how would it be possible for us to use that as technology to navigate if it wasn't created intelligently, if it wasn't created with a purpose to govern the earth, if it was just willy-nilly and just sort of happened, how could we possibly do that? Of course, we couldn't, and the earth was created by God with a governing mechanism in place for us, for us, for us. Actually, I believe animal life uses it too. There are many examples of animal life that use celestial navigation, And the seasons, think about your plants. They they figure out when to grow and when not to, right? God created it that way. See, the more you look at this, the more you realize it's just not possible. The theories of evolution and all of these other ridiculous ideas are just not possible. They make no sense. Now, the celestial lights, God said, are good. And these are good things because they are essential for life. Light is a good thing. It is the most basic form of energy, and it is essential for life. And God created light givers But he formed light in our universe by entering it. He is light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So now we have the ability to measure time. God created time in the beginning. But now we have the ability to measure days, months, seasons, years. And it's essential as well. What's missing? The week. Well, the week isn't finished yet. God then establishes the seven-day week with a day of rest, which hopefully you are taking each week. Well, then we get to the next day, the fifth day. And now it's time for sentient life to be created. Up until this point, we only had plant life. The the, the earth is landscaped. It's ready. And we read in verse 20, 
And God said, again through the creative speaking, the Word, who was in the beginning with God and was God, made his, ultimately made his dwelling with us. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So notice God created bara out of nothing, the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And so now we have created life, sentient life. Let there be living creatures in the water and birds on the earth. Everything's been landscaped, created to sustain life. Everything's just right. And the triune God speaks these living creatures into existence and places them on the earth. Now the land and the seas were filled with great varieties of birds and marine life, many of which have long since been extinct. But at this time, all life in the sea... And all bird life, which are different forms of life, as different from us as we are from them. The land and the sea is filled. The earth was created, again, to support an ecosystem of plant and animal life, which we have destroyed through our pollution and the lack of conservation and not really taking good care of God's blessing, the planet Earth. It's not a God. It's God's blessing, the planet Fully mature animals, by the way, following that same principle. Fully mature animals of both sexes. Yes, both, I said, not all. Changing the language in the state of New Jersey, in the education department, to all sexes. Imagine that. What kind of world are we living in? Fully mature animals of both sexes were then placed in the waters. Fully mature birds of both sexes were then placed on the earth. And this is consistent with that principle of mature creation or creation of apparent age, which we've already talked about. So there was simply no animal life on the earth until God said so, until God commanded it. Contrary to evolutionary theory, marine life was created simultaneously with the birds. Evolutionary theory puts those things very in very different places in a process. They believe marine life started, and then many, 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 many gazillions of years later, you had bird life, and they even try to tell us that birds came from reptiles. So that's not going to work. That's not how God creates. God creates in order, not in chaos. Amen? So this included the fish, the marine organisms, marine reptiles. All of these were created. And the triune God created these living creatures. Why? That life might be established on the earth. All of this creation points to life. It's always about life. See, we've got it wrong. We think we're the parasite in our world today. The woke green movement would suggest that, oh, if we just didn't exist, this planet would be just fine. Finally, the earth would be saved if we just exterminated all the people. The poor animals, the poor plants, oh, we're the problem. Really? We're made in the image of God. When God came to earth, he took on human flesh. This, I hate to say it this way, but it really is all about us. It is. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
The planet is incidental. God said, heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will not pass away. We're eternal. It's about us. All of this. So if you hear people saying, oh, the planet, the planet. We have dominion. God has given us dominion. The planet is ours to do with what we should be doing. Maybe we're not doing, but to do with as God intended. These things are subservient to us. That doesn't mean we should be polluting. It doesn't mean we shouldn't conserve rainforests because we're only hurting ourselves. But it's our planet because God gave it to us. And I don't serve the planet. I don't worship the planet. I love this planet. I love all of God's creation. It's a gift. We should take care of it. But I'm not going to start worshiping something that someone has given us. Very different way of thinking. So please understand, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But I don't worship Mother Earth. I worship Father God. So, God created fully mature animals. Both sexes, the ability to reproduce. Again, creation, procreation. God's design of each animal guaranteed their ability to reproduce. And each living creature was created, as it says, according to its kind. That's a phrase that shows up, I think, nine times in this section. They were programmed for reproduction through their genetic code, an intelligent language, really a programming language. We observe. We, we have gotten so advanced that we've broken down the human genome. We know the code. We can look at our, our code. Think about that for a minute, how cool that is. I think that's awesome. They broke the code. Ain't nobody creating out of nothing. But we broke the code. We can look at your code and your code and say, you guys are pretty close in code. Ancestry.com, right? So, so like, you know what? You're, you're, you're pretty close. The code tells us. And the, the language is the same in a frog, but it's so different. The code allows God's creation to continue to create. But he's the creator who created out of nothing. All of this information is stored in the complex DNA molecule. The system allows for wide variation, horizontal variation within its kind. That's why we all don't look the same. That's why a Pekingese and a Doberman are of the same kind, yet couldn't be more different. You know, someone moves in with a poodle, it's one thing. Someone moves in next door with a pit bull, you have issues. They're very different dogs, but they're all dogs. Never seen a dog give birth to a cat, have you? Not going to happen. There's never a vertical evolution from one kind to another. It's always horizontal variation. A variation is not evolution. And mutation happens sometimes. It's actually an error in the code most of the time. Sometimes it's a variance, but oftentimes it's, it's an error in the code. So the modern equivalent of kind, probably a little broader than what we call species, but it's the same idea. You have those animal kingdoms. You ever seen that, that, that chart, you know, that, that, the branches of life, and you'll see the birds and the marine life and mammals and primates and, you know, human beings and all that. And, and you see that, you know, the canines, you know, you have the felines. You have all these different branches, and, and, and they're, they're very well established. They don't gray over one to another ever, ever. These living creatures are good things. God said it was good. Why are they good? They're the beginning of animal life itself. The beginning, not the end, but the beginning. They were blessed by God with sentient life and the ability to reproduce. Sentient life. Now, 
I want to end with this. Because the word used here in this verse is create. Again, bara, create in the Hebrew, create out of nothing. It's different than form, asa, or to create from something. It's bara. It's applied to animal life. It wasn't applied to, to plant life. It wasn't used. Plant life was formed but not created. So what are we learning here? Listen, plants are highly complex, replicating chemical systems, just like animals. But there's something different about a plant. There's something different about a plant and an animal. Animals possess another entity that plants do not have, sentience or consciousness. So when God created animal life, he not only took the existing materials and formed them, he breathed into them a form of life that is of a lesser degree than we experience, but still sentient, conscious life. And so that's why the word bara is used there, because that spirit, if you will, if I can use that term, that, that soul, that consciousness that is in an animal was breathed into them. Unlike plants, plants are very different. And you'll see that that creative process, ultimately when man is created, he's made a living soul because God breathes into him the ruach Elohim, the breath of life. So it's that creative process that I think is referred to here when the word bara is used. They were commanded, these animals, by God, that is programmed, commanded by God to reproduce and increase their numbers, which they certainly do. One of the things that I've observed over over time in my neighborhood, and I've done some research on this, because a couple of years ago we were overrun with rodents. It was right about the time of COVID. That may have had something to do with it in that people weren't as active. What was happening is our car sat in the driveway, so you'd, you know, check your engine, and you'd go in there, and there'd be a family of mice living in your engine. It it happened uh, a lot to a lot of people because we weren't using the cars enough. So we're overrun by rodents like mice, field mice, chipmunks, squirrels. And I thought to myself, they were digging around the house. It was getting out of control. And I'm like, this is like a plague. So I did some research, and I found out Basically, the wisdom that I received in my research was, wait, wait. God's got an ecosystem, and it will work. The predators will figure it out, and they'll be there soon. So I'm out in my lawn, and I saw the very beginning of what I called the chipmunk apocalypse. (laughs) A bird of prey, not sure if it was a hawk, I'm not sure what it was, came down, grabbed the chipmunk, and flew away. And over the next couple of months, the foxes in our neighborhood were wandering during the daytime with squirrels in their mouths. It was insane. All of a sudden, there were no rodents. They they hunted them, not to extinction, because they're programmed to realize if we do that, then we've got nothing to eat. I found out that God designed these predators to hunt their prey nearly to the point of extinction, but not completely. Then they move on to another geographic area. How do they know how to do this? God programmed them. So they go to another neighborhood, and they hunt that. It's like a a farmer that rotates his crops. They got this figured out. And and so, yeah, so we saw foxes. We saw uh, the the birds of prey. I remember, I guess it was back like 16, 2016, 17 maybe. Um, We started to see more and more of these, and it was incredible. Very shortly after that, I didn't see any chipmunks. They used to wake me up in the morning. I don't hear them anymore. Not after the chipmunk apocalypse. So, what does that tell me? 
God's in control. By the way, I've seen a few more chipmunks. I'm suspecting we're in that rotation now where they're letting them build up in population. You know, it's a cycle. God designed it. And it's so cool. I love this. I really do. I love science. I love biology. I love zoology. I love all these sciences. But they just observe what God has done. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to prepare our hearts to receive communion. All of this science is very interesting, but it's of no value if we don't go back to what we opened with. The light of Christ in our lives, for he created all of this to sustain life so that we could be alive, so that we could receive eternal life. So if you know all these things and you appreciate God's creation, bravo, I do too. But you'll still die in your trespasses and in your sins if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who created all things for us. You know, to as many as received them, to those that believed on his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. Are you a child of God? I was up at uh, Inspire Sports Camps last week of camp, uh, visiting Kurt and his team, and uh, that was on Thursday. And while I was there, I was very fortunate to hear a very good guest speaker, one of the New York Giants who was uh, involved in two Super Bowls, had two Super Bowl rings, interesting gentleman, very inspiring, very encouraging. And he was asking the young people, most from the inner city, who are you? He asked them that question a lot. It was part of his speech, part of his encouragement, his teaching. Who are you? Do you know who you are? And the kids, of course, are like, you know, my name is Felix. My name is Kevin. You, no, no, no. Who are you? Have you answered that question for yourself? I'm not going to answer it for you. You should be able to answer that question. Think long and hard about what it means and, and who you are. Who has God created you to be? We have an opportunity to receive communion. As we do, it's an opportunity for us to figure it out, the answer to that question. You should be able to see the answer to that question in the elements we receive today. Who are you? You're a child of God. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel message written in the stars, written in our very DNA. All that we have, we know that you created. You told us how, in the sense that you told us how you did it. You showed us in your word in these verses the creative process in such a way that we can believe and know it's true. But Lord, Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Your word tells us of the importance of remembering you in all these things, whether it's creation or the Gospels or end times prophecy. You said to eat this bread and drink this cup, and as often as we do it, to do it in remembrance of you, to preach your death until you come. So, Lord, may we know that while this creation is all about us, our lives should be all about you that we, like the moon, should reflect the light of the sun, the Son of God, who came and died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, ever lives to make intercession on our behalf, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Oh, Lord God, we know this gospel truth. May it be true in our hearts, we pray, as we receive communion in Jesus' name. Amen.